springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows at castaway.media or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash castawaypodcasts. And welcome along to Fair Game. I'm Elaine Buckley. And I'm Emily Glenn. On this episode, we're continuing with our series within the series, Road to Rio. Sites are set firmly on the 2016 Summer Olympic Games in Brazil for many Irish sportswomen. So here on the podcast, we're meeting the athletes who are hoping to qualify to compete on the world's biggest sporting stage this August to learn more about them, their event and their training. Stay tuned to us on Twitter at FairGameCast for updates on future Olympic hopefuls joining us on the show. And search for and subscribe to us on whichever podcasting app you use to make sure you get all future episodes upon release. But now, joining us on the Fair Game Road to Rio hot seat is Irish runner Sarah Tracy. Sarah, you're very welcome along to Fair Game. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Sarah, you started running at a very young age, I think at the age of of seven. How did you first get into the sport? Um, I followed my brother and sister down to the local athletic club. We, um, we'd we done primary school sports and they'd been invited along, particularly my sister. She was the oldest of the three of us. And um, Well, there's four in my family, but there's three of us who are at the very similar age. And she was brought down and I was a bit young. And eventually my mum and dad let me go along um, and we just went from there. It wasn't until I was probably about 11 or 12, I found out that both my parents had actually met in an athletics club and were runners themselves. <laughs> but when we when we started running, it was just because we liked racing each other at school sports and things like that. So it was all very, it was just, you know, child games, sprinting and stuff and, and things like that. So it was mm. good fun. It was in, in the family. Yeah, exactly. And um, did, you, did you play any other sports as a kid or kind of was running always did it quite quickly become your your main focus or was there other stuff at play as well? Oh no, I played every sport when I was a child. I think um yeah, everything that was going I was I was I was playing. So I played a lot of Gaelic football um from about seven till I was about fifteen to um then I played like when I was in secondary school, I played basketball as well. I played hockey especially up until I left school. Then I, pl- I did tetrathlon, which is very similar to modern pat- pentathlon. So um, running, swimming, horse riding and shooting. So I did I did a lot of that throughout all my teenage years. Um, I've probably forgotten a few sports in there somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, I just I just love sport. I just love being active and made loads of friends. And that was just I just love doing that. So, yeah. And who are the athletes that you looked up to as a young runner? Um, I used to watch... I'd watch like Sonia Sullivan on the TV and we watched Katrina McKiernan and you know as I was getting kind of into my teens my my mum and dad would bring me down like I remember going to the World Cross Country up in uh, Belfast it was being held uh, at the time and just stuff like that so I I, I watched I you know I watched every sport on TV but particularly I remember watching people like Sonia when I was a child so and later on Dervil O'Rourke so 
you now compete in the 1500 meter 3000 meter and the steeplechase how did those events become your events of choice um it was kind of a gradual process i guess i did like middle distance um particularly when i was like an older teen um and i did 800 and 1500 and then when i went to university that's what i kind of sound in on and specialized in because i was i was good at it and i enjoyed the mixture of like tactics and I like the training and the fact that you have to be fast to be able to do middle distance but you still can go out for runs and like um, you get to do that kind of endurance side as well. Um, when I got to university my coach picked up pretty quickly that he thought I'd be a good steeplechaser um, but I actually my f- first few years in university I kept getting injuries um, I missed a lot of winters in a row and um, just decided it wasn't really strong enough to do steeplechase because it takes quite a lot out of um, your body in terms of it's what we call plyometric so you're having to jump and land a lot um, and it can be you know in a 3000 meters steeplechase is 35 barriers so you need to be quite strong for it um and it wasn't until I was kind of mid-20s that we felt I was strong enough to do it I'd done enough strength and conditioning and I was just ready to ready to do it and um yeah once I started doing it then when I was about I was it was only about it wasn't that long ago I was only about 25 I'd say I was 25 when I did my first race um maybe 24 anyway it's not that important but it was um a few few years ago I did my first steeplechase and actually picked it up I'd picked it up really quickly I picked up the the barrier work really quickly and um I just it went from strength to strength and in one season I took 45 seconds off my best time so I was pretty close to um I was pretty close to the Olympic qualifying time at the end of my first season which was kind of beyond what any of us were expecting so that was pretty good mm-hmm. and you mentioned um kind of university you're based o- over in Birmingham full-time what was it that brought you over there initially um there's a number of different things so when I was um in sixth year in school I was like looking at all my different options and I was considering going over to um the USA uh, a lot of Irish athletes go over there on scholarships um and I remember going, I went out on a recruiting trip out there um, to look at two universities, Villanova and Providence. And I really enjoyed it out there. Um, but then at the same time I was doing, I was looking at doing medicine. Um, in the back of my mind, I thought, I think I'd like to be a doctor. And I didn't think too much more about it. Um, and I did a, a few races over in England. Um, there was cross country races being held there and I'd met a few of the athletes from Birmingham University and I thought they've loads of good athletes over here this looks like a really good group and I met the coach and you know that was once I met him I was pretty certain I wanted to go to Birmingham I decided I picked up an injury my first ever injury um Christmas day of sixth year yeah I shouldn't have been going for a run but I just fancied it you know (laughs) it was a really nice morning I said I'll go out for a run and I picked up an injury first ever one and that kind of changed my mindset I decided that I needed to I needed to get a good degree I needed to have somewhere a direction in life and I kind of decided I got into medicine in the end in Birmingham and I decided it was the place to go and it was the best place to do both and yeah the rest is history like I love it over there and I've had a really good um good few years so yeah how have you managed to juggle your studies and training to be a doctor kind of alongside your training um I don't really know. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, how did I do it? Um, No, I, you know, it was, um, it is hard, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it's a good distraction. 
um, they're two very different things, aren't they? So um, I had a good group out there. Um, so I would go into college and I'd be finished and I'd be feeling pretty tired, but I knew the group was fe- meeting at half five. So I'd ha- bring all my stuff with me to lectures and I'd like basically leg it out of the last lecture to make it on time. And um, I just didn't really think about it. I just turned up to training. And once I got training, I was warming up with everyone. I'd forget about it and I'd just train. Medicine was gone out of my mind completely for a few hours. And then later on, I could, you know, do whatever I needed to do in the evening. But it just meant that, you know, every day I had a complete break from medicine. Gave me a complete, like, psychologically, I got to shut off, which was great. It's something else to focus on. And I guess it was just stupid, like, not stupid things, like, simple things like I'd... um, I the track was near where I was in college you know what I mean everything was close I minimized how much time I had wasted I you know I you know very little time got away so I'd run and finish in college and I'd have my stuff there and then I'd go straight into lectures or I'd do the same when I was going to placement and you just you just figure out a way and you just you just get it done and you know yeah you just manage it's mm-hmm. it's funny what you what you can do it sounds like a great kind of one one-stop shop for everything you wanted to yeah to, to achieve. yeah it was yeah it was really good and then when I was out in placements you know you just have to you sometimes just have to um be able to switch things around in the week and be a bit uh, adjustable so what we would do would be I'd sit down with my coach every two weeks and we'd put in the fixed points of the week you know where I was where I had to be at certain times and then we'd devise a training program around that and I think the most important thing to remember when you're that busy is, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a massive week every week, but if you can put eight weeks together that are decent weeks, then by the end of that, you'll be actually really fit. Mm. So sometimes you can push it too hard to run particularly well or a lot in one week, and then you'll you'll do loads of miles or something, and then you'll be sick or you'll be injured or whatever, and you're just better off having kind of eight weeks of solid training and you run well after that okay and in terms of kind of kind of the nuts and bolts of the setup over there like how mm-hmm. do the facilities compare what you have over there compared to anything you'd experienced here in Ireland it's not really that comparable in a way because where I'm from it's when I grew up where I grew up you know it was 45 minute drive to Navan track like it was you know you'd be running on on Gaelic pitches during the week um just stuff like stuff like that it, it's not really that comparable I mean I have like a there's a cinder track not that far away from where I grew up but it's just it, whereas where where I was in college like there was a there was a track on campus medical school was on campus I lived on campus you know all that it's just not at the gym was there as well it's just not really comparable you know 15 mm-hmm. minute walk to a 45 minute drive it's <laughs> A, welcome, a very welcome change. Yeah, very welcome change. It just made everything easier, you know. Yeah. So British Athletics seem to be particularly well-funded and well-supported, um, especially since London 2012. Have you seen the benefits of that with your training partners in the UK? And have you felt that benefit in, in your own training facilities? Um, I think, actually, it's probably beneficial that I'm in Birmingham, um, which is slightly like the university is away from... Um, the hubs for UK athletics um, so I've been really well supported by the University of Birmingham um, because they support their students and they looked on me as just one of their students I, it didn't matter that I was representing Ireland and not representing Britain so that worked out really well for me whereas if you're in other areas and it's you know English athletics or British athletics quite rightly they focus on their own athletes so you just kind of have to work around that but no I always found I was really really well supported 
Um, in terms of the funding in the British setup, it's very different. Um, like when they make it onto podium funding, they get a lot of support, but it's their level to get onto that funding is really high. So they might get to a level where they get support, but they don't get any money. Um, but even that, they're actually very good athletes. Um, they have different things like the London Marathon. They have um, the London Marathon pays for things like altitude camps um, for British athletes. So that's actually separate from the British Athletics Fund, but it comes back from the actual London Marathon itself. So they'll go out to a camp, which will be fully paid for, and they'll have physios there, sports scientists there, massage people there, like the accommodation subsidised. Everything's kind of done for them in a package, so they might only just pay their flights out there. So and that and that that's quite wide ranging. So the people who get that might not necessarily be the medal winners, but they're all pretty they're all pretty good, like international standard. But you know it can get onto that sort of a level much easier. Um, so it's just a different setup. Whereas we haven't probably got the numbers or the or this financial cloud to do uh, camps like that. Um, generally, um, I think there are some junior camps set up and things now, but. Um, Athletics Ireland have been good to me in the last few years in terms of giving me some money towards my setting up my own camp. So uh, so I would go out with my training partners and I'll just pay for myself when I'm out there. So things like getting physio might be a bit harder while I'm out there, but at the end of the day I have, you know, I I'm I'm based at a with my training group where I want to be training. So it works out for me. It's it's quite good. Okay. And in terms of kind of your 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 day-to-day training at the moment could you kind of at this juncture with the Olympics a couple of months away could you talk us through kind of a typical training day for for you and um or even a typical tra- training week because obviously it probably varies yeah it does it does vary still um but um depends obviously if you've got a race and you might change things up but so it depends from day to day so I would do kind of um, in a week I'll try and do two or three interval sessions so two of them will be um, like what we call big sessions um, at this time of the year I might be doing something like five six k worth of work in, in, in a session sometimes sometimes a bit less if I'm doing like if it's higher intensity and then so at least two of them will be really tough and then we'll have another one um, where it's more like longer stuff and not quite as tough and then I'll do like a long run on a Sunday, which would be about 12 miles. Um, do faster runs on Monday. I go to the gym twice a week. I do, I have to do my hurdles. So I do that, um, like a technique session once or twice a week as well. And um, then any prehab or core and stuff I do, I fit that in around my other sessions, morning runs. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite busy. I typically train like twice, at least twice a day. Um, and then I try to have one day off a week. So. Right. Yeah. In your one day recovery must be really important with the training training load that heavy. Yeah. How do you, how do you make sure you recover well? Um I like staying in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't get up nearly as early. <laughs> um and just try to try to do something nice, maybe meet some friends for coffee or lunch or whatever. Um when I was working it was just the one day where you didn't have to come in from work and get back out training and I typically would do like quite a lot of work on that day um now that I, I've taken like a bit of a career break at the moment to prepare for Rio um so I find I find my rest days a bit odd now because I'm not used to 
not having to go training or not having to go to work so it's a bit it's a bit strange but if I've got anything else to do I'll try and get it done on those days because you just have so much more energy on those days (laughs) so if I've got like a to-do list like most of it gets done on my rest day (laughs) and um so how how important kind of has your the dynamic between you and your coach being in, in, in the last couple of years like I'm, I come from a totally team sports background so it's kind of a, a different kind of concept to mm. me of a kind of a more individual sport yeah it's 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 so important like that you have the right coach um, and I think like I've been working with my coach Bud Baldaro for a, a number of years so he t- since I went over to England um so we've been he's been coaching me for about eight years. He knows a lot, like he's coached so many um I think they say at this point it's like over sixty G B internationals in in his right. in his career of coaching. Um it's amazing. Uh, most recently he's you know, my one of my training partners won um uh world silver medal in the fifteen hundred and she came fourth subsequently as well. Um so yeah, he, he's got a lot of experience. Um he's coached people in my event as well. But also he knows me very well and like he's been through, he's been coaching me all the way through my medical degree and knows what I can do, when to, when to pull me back from a session, whether I'm doing too, you know, when I'm going too hard or equally when I just need to kind of suck it up and get on with it and whether he needed, like when to tell me to push on as well. So um, we have a great dynamic. So it's, yeah, it's great. 2015 was a pretty special year for you becoming a national championship competing becoming a national champion (laughs) in a national championship there we go uh competing in your first world athletics championship um in beijing and of course being named mead sports person of the month in february i believe uh so talk us through your highlights from 2015 yeah 2015 was great like um it just seems to be kind of one highlight to the next to be honest um uh, and it started like it started kind of in December 2014 um, I had my best ever performance at the European Cross Country Championships um, I finished 12th and, my, and the team came third we got a bronze medal and that wasn't really expected so that was great um, and that really kind of got me a bit fired up for the winter and I knew that I was in the best shape of my life type thing um, so I just needed to keep going and then I did the indoors and I won the British indoors and kind of upset a few of the favourites, which was nice. Um, <laughs> and that was just, it was just a great day. I really, really enjoyed it. And um, then from there, I kind of, I got selected for my first ever um, track, uh, track vest as a senior. I'd been, I'd run under 23 and I'd run as a junior, but I'd never run on a senior team for track, which is mad. Um, so I ran the 3000 metres in Heraklion in Greece for the European Cup and we had our best ever team performance which was again brilliant like so it just kind of there was just constantly positive momentum we were all just kind of at the the team atmosphere there was great and everyone was so you know positive and looking forward to the summer and stuff um and then I ran I ran some PBs in the steeplechase and qualified for um you know I got the Olympic standard and then went to national championships and won the steeplechase which was amazing uh, second year in a row and then I went and won the 1500 the next day <laughs> which was funny because I'd been 1500 meter runner for years and I'd never come higher than fourth I think and then I did the steeplechase and I won the 1500 as well so that was a that was such crack that was a good weekend and then uh 
then I got selected for the Worlds. So as I said, like it's hard to kind of pick out one highlight because it literally seemed to be, I seemed to be just constantly on a high last year. I just went from the next race to the next race and it was just, it was all just going really well. Mm. So yeah, I'm hoping to kind of find a bit of that form this year and hold on to it. (laughs) That's certainly, it's great momentum to be bringing into 2016, of course, with with the main focus being on Olympic qualification. Um, Can you kind of just break down to us what's, how the next couple of months w- will play out like how does the qualification process work we know that you've 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 already um clocked your the, the qualifying time for the 3000 meter steeplechase but is that is that in, enough to to get you on the plane or are there other events you're you're kind of targeting or what's what's ahead um so with athletics you've basically got two seasons to get the qualifying times um so i was i was i had a good summer last year and i got the steep uh, got the steeplechase time so that kind of takes takes I suppose the negative pressure off because obviously you're still going to put pressure on yourself and there is obviously a lot of pressure on in Olympic year um, but I find find that's all kind of pro- positive stuff I think what it has done for me is it means that now I'm peaking for the Olympics I'm peaking for the major championships I'm not gonna I'm not worrying about needing to run the time and having to run loads of races around Europe to run that time um, which can be what happens to other athletes who haven't run it the year before so the the dream is to run it the year before and then you can just focus everything on preparing to get there and to actually go you need to go to the Irish Championships and have a good run there which is at the end last weekend in June if uh, you've never been to an Irish Athletics Championships you should go it's great fun Um, so yeah I'll be doing that and then I want to basically run as quick as I did last summer or quicker you have to prove fitness um, and you have to be in the top three in the country um, to go um, because they can, only three people can go in each event um, at the moment there's three of us with the steeplechase time there's there's nobody else who's that close to it at the moment not to say that somebody couldn't come out of the woodwork but um, yeah I just want to make sure that I'm running as fast as I can this summer so that there's no doubt and I'm going to be on the plane that's all I can think of so yeah Sonia Sullivan recently um, called for an earlier qualification process mm-hmm. for uh, endurance athletes. Um, I think she was kind of aiming that at the marathon runners, but do you think that would be of benefit to middle distance runners too? And if that was the case, would it have impacted your, your 2016 calendar? Um, I actually don't think it would be that beneficial for middle distance um, because I think, as I was saying before, you can get the time the year before and then try and um, prepare Um I know it's different in bigger countries where they're going to have loads of people running the time. Um, I think in America they do first past the post system, so the top three in the national championships goes regardless, which is actually really it makes for some really interesting viewing in the um, American cha- championships because it's also competitive. But they've had Olympic champions, world champions being left behind wow. because they finished fourth or they false started or something. So there's a there's this debate whether or not that actually means they'll send their best team. But I think all the Americans buy into it and they really, you know, they know that once that's what they have to do and that's how they prepare. So in some ways I suppose they're actually very very well prepared for the major championships once they go because they've had a dry run every year at this big big tournament. Um so then you the British system is similar to that but slightly different. Um, with us we don't tend to have loads of people qualifying it does sometimes happen that you might get four I think for the European Championships a couple of years ago there was four in the men's 1500 qualified this year there's loads qualified in the marathon 
um, which is going to make a real headache for selectors, which is what Sonia was talking about, I believe. Um, because with the marathon, you can only do two a year, maybe, and to do three in a year would be pushing it. Um, so they need to prepare for months and months and months and knowing in advance that they're going and what their races are um, is better. I think that that's what she was referring to. So if they try and, so say they've just missed qualification, they're going to try and fit in another marathon because then if they can get qualification in the next marathon, they're going. But that might not mean that they're best prepared for the for the actual Olympic marathon by the time the marathon comes around. So I think that that's why she was saying you should pick them earlier so that they know they can prepare and that they don't compromise their actual end end result. For something like middle distance, it's more important that you have who's fit that summer going. So if you select too far in advance, somebody could be going who has picked up an injury and isn't actually that fit because they've they're going on a previous time. And it's better to fit to pick the people who are running well just in front of the championships. So that's why I don't really think really early selection for something like it for most track events would be that helpful. Okay. Um, kind of bigger picture athletics there kind of it's athletics is deemed to be one of the more gender neutral sports um, is that kind of your experience as a as a competitor or does it even factor into what what you do and 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 your training and stuff like that or um, I mean from my experience of doing other sports I know that it is um, and just from my interest in other sports but when you're doing athletics, you actually don't think about it, to be honest. You just turn up and you do your race. I mean, the very odd occasion you might turn up and there might not be all the events in the women's and there might be more options in the men's. But I don't know whether that's due to not having enough numbers entering the races or what. So you can't really make too much judgment calls on that. And I don't, I try not to think about it. I, I say try not to think about it. You just don't think about it. You just go and you just run your race and that's what it is. And that's the way I like it. Like, I'd, I'd rather just sport is sport think about the sport brilliant and uh and finally beyond your own events um which athletes and sports will be cheering on on their on, on the rio olympics this year um oh beyond my own sport yeah beyond your own sport oh wow okay so um i know natalia coyle really well from when we were younger we did a triathlon together and stuff so i'll be watching uh, modern pentathlon if her and Arthur qualify definitely I know Arthur as well um, I've I used to live with um, a previous world champion from the British triathlon so I'll be going to watch her mm-hmm. and obviously um, we've got Aileen in that as well Aileen Reed, so I'll be watching I'll be cheering her on um, if she if she's there obviously uh, I like to go and watch some eventing that'd be great um, uh, I don't know I think I want to go watch everything I'll have to go watch a bit of the hockey as well um, I might go in and watch some diving if I can get tickets to that but I don't I don't know how the ticket system is going to work so oh it's going to be so hard yeah. <laughs> and then obviously I had to watch all the athletics so yeah I don't it's, know it'd uh, be amazing we're God. certainly we're going to be spoiled for choice uh, us at home watching you watching a uh, Team Ireland compete in the Olympics this oh, year and brilliant. Yeah. Sarah will be backing you uh, up until then and then as well so we wish you all Thank the best for the coming months and thanks, thanks for joining us
Big thanks to Sarah Tracy for taking a pit stop on her road to Rio to fill us in on how her preparations are progressing. You can keep up with her on Twitter at Sarah underscore Tracy. If you want to see Sarah in action on home soil between now and the Olympics, make sure to head along to the Glow Health National Athletics Championships at Morton Stadium in Santry at the end of June. There's also the Morton Mile to look forward to there in July. If you've missed any of our episodes to date, make sure to check in on our website castaway.media forward slash fair game. Also, subscribe to Fair Game on your podcasting app to make sure you don't miss another one. Follow us on Twitter too, at FairGameCast, to keep up to speed with everything happening in the world of women's sports. That's it for this episode of Fair Game. We'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. This was a Castaway Media production. Find more great podcasts on our network. Visit castaway.media. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers!